Thank you for joining us for a word from the Lord. Today's message from Archbishop Foley Beach is entitled Unforgiven. After today's message, we will have a special feature from last week's message on prayer. A little while ago, I was having lunch with my family after church one Sunday in a local restaurant. And we were getting ready to leave, and a woman came up and said, Are you Foley Beach? I said, Yes, I am. She says, I I just want to thank you. I said, Okay, what do you want to thank me for? She said, I want to thank you for an article you wrote in the newspaper. And she began to tell the story how she was lining her birdcage, and... (laughs) And she had put out this, the, the paper in the bottom and noticed the headline of, of the article. And it had to do with forgiveness. And so she picked it up and began to read it and she was convicted by the Lord that she needed to forgive somebody. And so she called that person and that person who she had not spoken to in over six months had just read the same article and was feeling the same conviction. And so she wanted to thank me for being an instrument of the Lord to bring reconciliation and and healing to that relationship. This morning, I'd like us to talk about unforgiveness. Usually we hear about forgiveness, but this morning I want us to focus on unforgiveness. So please open in your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, beginning with verse 21. Matthew eighteen twenty one. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times, or seven times seven. How many times should I forgive? Now, Peter thought he was suggesting a great number because in, he knew from his local rabbi teaching that some of the rabbis were teaching that you forgive folks up to three times and then you don't forgive them anymore. So he, he doubled it and added one to, for seven, the perfect number. And Jesus goes, no, 70 times seven. In other words, unlimited forgiveness. There should never be a time when we don't forgive our brother. And then Jesus launches into a parable to illustrate this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, verse 23, a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him about a million dollars was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master, the master ordered that his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to pay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him about a few dollars. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and and had the man thrown into prison till he could repay the debt. 
When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. They went out and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had on you? In anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. How often should we forgive? should be an unlimited forgiveness. What was the king's reaction at first? It was pardon and forgiveness. That's God's nature. He wants to pardon and forgive. But then what's the servant's action? What's what's his response? Punishment and judgment. He didn't offer the same mercy. And then what's the king's response after that? He revoked the pardon. Mm. And look at Jesus' summary to Peter in verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. In other words, Jesus is saying to Peter, the same applies to you. The same applies to you. God forgives us. He expects us to forgive as well. How many times should I forgive? Seventy times seven. Unlimited. Now our problem with this passage is this. God revokes His pardon. We don't like to hear that. Now someday, it's not the focus this morning, but this doesn't contradict once saved, always saved. Okay, we'll talk about that another time. But he revokes his pardon. And it's consistent with the other teachings of Jesus. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Matthew 6. And then Matthew 6, 14. Jesus says, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Lord Herbert writes, he who cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass. Hmm. I want to bring out the word torturers here. Just in the parable, Jesus says he was turned over to the torturers, the jailers, and they they tortured him. MacArthur does a word study on this word, and he says it can refer to inquisitors, which then could be applied to things like stress or hardship or pressure or other difficulties until the sin is confessed and forgiveness is granted. James 2.13 says it this way, Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. What are the results of unforgiveness when we refuse to forgive? First, unforgiveness breaks fellowship with God. It breaks fellowship with the Lord. The one sinned against becomes the sinner. You say, but you don't know what they did to me. Well, of course I don't know what they did to you or what they said to you. 
But when we harbor it and when we won't forgive, it, it turns into sin in our we become the sinner. Second thing, we're then put into prison, as in the parable. We lose our emotional and spiritual freedom. We lose our freedom as the one who sinned against us begins to control our lives, control our thoughts, control our actions. You've all run into people that have done things like this. Someone's not talked to someone in 20 years because of what they said. Or so-and-so won't shop in a certain store because they're afraid that they might run into that person. They're allowing that person to control them. They're in prison. The third thing that happened is the torturers take over. The torturers. Anger. Resentment. Hostility. They begin to consume us. Cynicism. Ask yourself, where's my joy? Oftentimes when our joy is stolen, it's because we're harboring unforgiveness. Bitterness begins to take on facets of our life. It begins to actually poison all that we are as a person. How many of us have known people, they were so delightful, and then all of a sudden something happens and they become a... You just don't want to be around them. Bitterness has consumed them. All of these things literally steal the life right out of us both emotionally, spiritually, and physically. They affect us physically as well. You can't continue to be angry and have unresolved anger in your life without it affecting your body. You can't be bitter and be harboring bitterness and living without it affecting your, your, your physical body. Charles Stanley writes, a person who has an unforgiving spirit is always the real loser, much more than the one against whom the grudge is held. It is so true. We're thrown in prison, and then the torturers take over. Forgiveness, it's a choice which sets someone free from a debt or obligation that they have to you as a result of a wrong done against you. It's a choice. It's a choice to release that person from the debt. Now, let me explain one thing here. This is not about them making things right. This is about us keeping things right in our heart. Jesus has already talked about, in the previous verses, about what to do if they sin against you, about what they're to do to make things right. Look, look at it with me real quick. Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. If he will not listen, take one or two others along that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he still refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. When someone wrongs you, what are we supposed to do? You go to them first, one-on-one, just between you two. Not with email, not with telephone calls, not with going through somebody else. You go to that person. And then if they won't listen, then you take one or two others with you. And then if they still won't 
listen to you, then you bring it to the leadership of the church. That's what that's talking about. And if they won't listen to the leaders in the church, then you treat them as an unbeliever. And how is that? You're to love them. Sure, you won't have the same intimacy as you would as a brother in Christ. Those of you know, that are walking with the Lord and had that spiritual, you know what I'm talking You won't be able to have that. But what, how are we supposed to treat pagans and tax collectors and unbelievers? We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to love them into the kingdom. So Jesus has already shown us what to do if somebody wrongs us. He's not talking about that here. He's talking about us here. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice which sets the other person free. It's not about them making things right. It's about us keeping things right in our heart. Forgiveness allows us to stay in fellowship with God. It allows us to stay in fellowship with others. Forgiveness allows us to avoid the cost and the punishment of not forgiving. Forgiveness always grows us and brings freedom in our life. And forgiveness benefits other people. It's a choice. I can forgive. Can you say that with me? I can forgive. God would not ask you to do something that was impossible. Would he? No. He would not command us to do something that was impossible. Ephesians 4.32. Paul writes to the Christians there, and this applies to us as well. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Colossians 3.13 reflects the same thing. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, we practice this liturgically every Sunday. We begin by confessing our sin against God and our neighbor. Then we have what we have call the peace. And the peace is more than just shaking hands with somebody and saying good morning. It's symbolic of being at peace with my brother and sister before I come to the Lord's table. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. When we celebrate or, or pass the peace, as we call it, In our service, it's just before we take up our offering and just before we offer these gifts and come to the Lord's table. We're supposed to be right with our brother and sister. Or at least everything that that I can do or you can do to be right with that person. So this morning, if you're not right with somebody, and you leave your offering. You probably won't hear preachers say this too much, but keep your offering until you're right because it's going to hurt you. Every week, liturgically, we live this out about this forgiveness thing. In the Lord's Prayer, which we then pray again, right before we we receive communion. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Jim Bass says it this way. As I've forgiven others, I want you to forgive me. Lord, as I've forgiven others, I want you to forgive me. I can forgive. But if I'm harboring stuff in my heart against somebody, and if I'm holding a grudge, I've not forgiven them. I can forgive. It's a choice. A few weeks ago, I received a phone call from a dear friend wanting to meet with me, and we began to talk. And this person basically said, Foley, I need to ask your forgiveness. I've been harboring resentment against you for the last six months. And it's blocked our relationship. And so we talked about it and we prayed through it. And, and afterwards, he had such a sense of freedom and release. You see, he'd been in prison. He didn't know he was. But he'd been in prison. But once he was able to let it go, and forgive. He was free. The same will happen to you and to me. Unforgiveness, it will ruin your life. It will steal your Christian life right out from under you and it will destroy your life. Here now is Dr. Beach with today's special feature. Just this week I was praying for someone and I thought I had a word for the person. The word was this. Don't allow the other voices to crowd me out, Lord speaking. Don't allow the other voices to crowd me out. So I prayed along those lines for that person, and then I even sent them an email. Now, I could have been all wrong, but I was attempting to pray according to the will of God and as as he leads. As it turns out, I got a response that that confirmed the exact same word that person was getting in other areas. 1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Another question to ask, Am I centered in the Holy Spirit? Am I centered in the Holy Spirit? It's easy to run into God's presence in the flesh and not in the Spirit. But it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to commune with the Lord to hear him, to know his presence, to enjoy peace and to have that fellowship with him. It's the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Now, that verse is packed with all kind of things. But the point I want to make is that if we're in the Holy Spirit, not in the flesh, then we have an incredible capacity to pray. But too often we come into into the presence of the Lord in the flesh, not in the Spirit. And the apostles told us, or the apostles were told in John 14, 26, we also heard this read this morning. Jesus said, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Well, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did for the apostles. He did it when they were called to give an account of their faith, when they were called and put on trial. Oftentimes, they were shown exactly what to say at the right time. He also did it when they wrote down his words in the new, what we now call the New Testament. 
The Holy Spirit will also do this in our prayer time. If we'll get centered in him and allow him to guide us in our prayers. He wants to lead us. He wants to show us. He wants to reveal the mind of the Lord about situations to us. But we need to be centered in the Holy Spirit. And then the last question to ask. Am I concerned for God's glory? Am I concerned for God's glory? Jesus said in John 14, 13, And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. The ultimate purpose of our prayer time is for God's glory, for the uplifting and honoring of him, for giving it up to him and to give him in praise. It's about him. So what if you get healed? Did God get the glory? So what if the rent gets paid? Did God get the glory? Too often our prayers are about our glory. If we can remember that it's God's glory at stake when we pray, it will change everything. Everything. So some questions to ask when we come before the Lord. Am I clean before the Lord? Am I in communion with others? Am I confident in God's word? Am I committed to God's will? Am I centered in the Holy Spirit? And am I concerned for God's glory? Now, you know one other thing? This applies to our worship as well. When we come to worship on Sundays, are we really expecting to encounter God? Am I really expecting to worship? Am I really expecting to hear the word of God and to hear a word from God? Am I expecting to pray? Am I expecting to commune with him and to commune with other folks around his table? Could it be that I'm not clean before the Lord? Could it be that I'm not in communion with others? Could it be that I'm not confident in God's word? Could it be that I'm not committed to his will? Could it be that I come in here not centered in the Holy Spirit? And could it be that I'm really not concerned about God's glory? You see, this applies to our worship together as well not just our well, brothers and sisters we have been given an incredible gift to be able to pray to be able to access the throne of God to have the ear of the almighty but too often we get in the way of our own prayers was Dr. Beach with today's message. For more information on this message and this ministry, please visit a word from the Lord.org. There you will find today's message and previously aired messages where you can listen to them again and share them with friends and family. A word from the Lord.org has audio archives of Foley Beach's one minute radio feature and much more. So visit a word from the Lord.org for audio articles and information about the ministry. You can find A Word from the Lord on Facebook, and be sure to click the Like button to follow our feed on Facebook. You'll want to be sure to visit Foley's blog at bishopfoleybeach.blogspot.com. 
On the blog, you can read the many articles posted by Dr. Beach. Many of these blog entries are excerpts and full articles published in local publications. You can also follow Foley on Twitter. His Twitter address is twitter.com at Foley Beach. If you have any comments or questions about the program, you can contact Dr. Beach by email at foleybeach at a word from the Lord.org. Again, his email is foleybeach at a word from the Lord.org. You can contact us by mail. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia 30655. Our mailing address again is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia 30655. Whether you send us an email or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. A Word from the Lord is made possible by God's grace through the continued prayers and loving financial support from you. And we thank you for this opportunity to spread the hope of the gospel of Christ through this ministry. Join us again next time for the next broadcast of A Word from the Lord. For Dr. Beach and everyone here at A Word from the Lord, it is our prayer that you would be seeking a word from the Lord.